Howdy, Charleston basketball fans. Welcome back to the Holy City Hoops podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone is enjoying their December so far. All you CFC students, hope you all crushed your final exams. Maybe you're listening to this on your way back home for the holidays. As is typical of this time of the year, the Cougars played just one game this week, and they won't play again until next Saturday. So we figured we'd do something a little bit different, a little bit fun. And that is name our CFC All-Decade teams. So we're just a few days away from 2020. Figured we'd get a little nostalgic and pick who we believe to be the best players from this decade before we move into the 2020s. Joining me to do that is Martin Trojanowski. He was a guest last year. You know him as one of the guys in charge of CFCfans.com, the always active message board for Cougar fans to sound off on. That has been active throughout the decade and dating back even before that. So he's perfect to bring on for this kind of retrospective. Martin and I are going to chat a little bit about the Coker game, takeaways from that game, uh, where the Cougars stand now. We're going to take a quick look around the CAA, and then we're going to move into our all-decade picks. Thanks again to all of you for listening, for subscribing, for following us on your favorite social media channel. I'm going to bring in Martin, and we're going to get going right about now. All right, I'm now joined by Martin Trojanowski. We're going to talk some CFC hoops, some Coker hoops. We're going to talk all-decade teams. Martin, you ready to do this? Let's roll. Let's do it. Did you watch the game on Sunday? I didn't watch it live, so I saw people complaining about it. So I came <laughs> back and uh, checked it out later in the evening, kind of fast-forwarding through all the dead time. It was That's probably the best way to do it. It was... Uh, a little bit of a chore to get through that game, but the Cougars did come through with, uh, you know, pretty much everything you want in a game like this. They won big, cruised to a victory. The walk-ons got in. What are your just uh, kind of overall takeaways? Yeah, I set the bar really low because I thought it was going to be really bad, and then I just felt that Coger they were kind of punchy. They they were they were they're more athletic than I expected uh, for a D two team, and you know they were working really hard. So. I didn't feel so bad afterwards just because my expectations were so low coming from uh, what the chatter was about. Yeah, I I was kind of disappointed with the team off the tip, um, especially after that UCF game where the Cougars just got completely rolled. I thought they would come out in this game and just ready to dominate, and that was not the case. Cougar stayed close uh, for the majority of the first half, and then Charleston kind of locked in and brought their game to the next level and pulled away. But hopefully the team takes more away from the second half where their defense was really good. I think they held Coker to less than 20 points in the half. Grant Riller was obviously great. Uh, Do you have any overreactions from a game like this? Uh, Not particularly. I think, I mean, Coker, I mean, in the beginning they actually hit shots. I mean, they're not a team that was supposedly known for threes and they hit a bunch of contested threes in the very beginning. Uh, which were which allowed them to stay stay close. I felt, uh, and and then the second half they just cooled off. So they kind of went back to their average, which allowed us to pull away. I mean, the only thing that I was somewhat disappointed about after this game is that you gave a team like Coker eleven offensive rebounds, and that yeah, that's obviously a, a thing that's consistently plagued us. But wish you could do that, get out rebound a, a little bit more significantly a D two team. Yeah, no Sam Miller in this game. Uh, he was being held out with a, a hamstring injury that I hear is pretty minor. So a team that was already small to begin with in Charleston got even smaller. And yeah, they did. They got blocked at the rim like six or seven times by Coker, yeah. which is not a good sign. Um, and yeah, the rebounding, 
was going to be a, a struggle for this team all year and you know take away a big man like sam and it's it's going to be even tougher yeah definitely we're gonna we we're forced to play even smaller than we're used to and and that was already stretching a a pretty little lineup so i, I mean it's gonna happen i mean we didn't really have that big of a size advantage over over this uh scrappy d2 squad so that's I guess true that, the rebounds will happen yeah i think everett and danny actually mentioned that on the broadcast was comparing roster sizes i mean coker wasn't like a typical d2 team they they had some size but i do have an overreaction and that is zach rabinowitz is the sharpshooter this team has needed all season <laughs> and he is now seventh on the team in points per game uh four points per game after this one game performance which puts him between oc smart and jalen richard in terms of average scoring per game so not too shabby for the for the senior walk-on yeah, it's great to. It's always great to see the walk-on guys that work so hard throughout their career in CFC to get on the stat sheet and to have their name in ink forever. So I, it's really happy for Zach, who I don't know at all, but uh, I'm. It's great for him. That's one of the goals of the. If you're going to play a D two team, you hope that you're up twenty or thirty, and and you can get the walk-ons in because their opportunities are slim. So yeah, I, I was glad. Zach got in there, and the bench celebrations were were an A plus from the Cougs. Happy to see that. I think the other thing you're trying to get from these games is get your young guys some extra minutes. So guys like Brendan Tucker, Trevon Reddish, Kwame Clooney, guys who aren't going to see a lot of minutes in a regular season game or, or in a in a D one matchup. They get some more playing time. They get to kind of learn through some mistakes. And I thought those three especially. Uh, Tucker Reddish McClooney really capitalized on it finally saw Brendan Tucker dunk the basketball he had seven points Trevon Reddish had four assists which was the team high and then McClooney with a nice stat line of uh, six points and four boards good to see those guys all get minutes yeah definitely McClooney he's got length um, and every time you we saw him earlier in the season he just he I think he was just uh, so wound up that he would uh, end up not kind of delivering impact minutes like he had hoped. So it was really good to see him get some easy buckets and start to look a little more natural on the court because we're going to need his length as uh, the CAA competition starts to come in. Yeah, I, I thought he he's getting a little bit better each game, uh, Kwame Clooney. And then Reddish had some really nice passes. Um, I, I mentioned it on Twitter. He had a couple where I don't know if there's anybody, just a different dimension to, to what we're used to. I mean, he had a couple, he found OC smart for that pick and roll dunk against Oklahoma state, yeah. which stood out to me. But then in this game, he fired a couple passes to guys in like the dunker spots, made some no look passes. So if he can handle his own in terms of shooting and, and defense, that passing he brings and just the team needs easy looks at the basket with the way they struggle. So he, um, he played well and I, I look forward to him kind of growing some more. Yeah, and uh, obviously to round it out, and Brendan Tucker, you can start to see his kind of lightning quickness on display. He was, I would say, a little bit more aggressive than we saw him in, in past games and kind of showed him more a fearlessness. So, I mean, you see what you start to see what he brings to the table, and uh, it's always going to be tough sledding for him this year with Grant absorbing so many minutes and, and, and uh, Brendan being kind of his – almost like his doppelganger in the roster, but uh, it's great to get him some minutes so he can play and show off his stuff to the crowd. We've made it this far, and you haven't mentioned your boy O.C. Smart. You are the president on CFC fans of the O.C. Smart fan club. What, what do you have to say about him? 
uh, OC is starting to be a known factor. And and I, I funny thing, I was watching the game and I was sitting there thinking about the same thing uh, that Danny Johnson was mentioning on the broadcast. That it's like, man, for a big man who is so raw, OC has a great touch at the free throw line. Yeah, and, and then he proceeds to miss the next three free <laughs> right. throws in a row. But um, I, I, I mean, he's, I mean, he's just gotten so much better. I, it, it's, uh, I think the only thing that works against him is that he's the only big guy out there that can really bring it, especially yesterday. So, uh, but he's got more and more touch. He's receiving the ball well. I mean, he's he's a terrific player. I mean, I think he's going to continue to grow. Compared to his freshman year, when he was having trouble even ha- handling like a, a bounce pass. To now, I mean, I've said this a couple times this season. As long as he stays out of foul trouble, and he's going to get he's going to get minutes. And what he does with those minutes is pretty efficient. You know, almost had a double double in this game and played well um, out in California a couple games. I agree with you. OC's been coming along, and um, if he can just stay on the court, he'll be a, a nice weapon for us. Yeah, I mean, I would say if, if we're going to see some downsides to this game, I mean, a couple guys still continue to struggle shooting the ball, which has been the, the bugaboo for this team all year. I mean, Jalen McManus going three for 10, Brevin Galloway going one for seven, and uh, Jalen Richard going over for four. I mean, Coach always says that, you know, we base our, our team on defense first, but uh, to win games, we're going to have to start hitting shots with some, you know, regularity. Yeah, terrific use of bugaboo, by the way. Um, thanks i really didn't want i was like thinking about what else i was going to say (laughs) um no i this kind of is a nice segue into the next topic which is just kind of where the cougars stand now and that's that has been the issue is the guys on this team who are kind of the scorers are struggling to put the ball in the basket Uh, jalen richard is in definitely some sort of funk hasn't scored in a couple weeks revan galloway is definitely in a funk from three and those two, Sam Miller, those are offensive players. Um, O.C. Smart's not an offensive player. Uh, Zepp Jasper is a good three-point shooter, but he's leaned on for his defense. Jalen McManus is, gives you a little bit of both, but I think the team is looking for scoring from those shooting guards and, uh, and, and from Sam. So with those guys not being able to, to contribute, it's, it's tough because um, the team was already lacking for offense and they, they need to squeeze efficiency out of that roster as they can. Um, I agree with you. If, if there was a, a downside of this game, it was Galloway, Richard, um, not breaking out of those funks just yet. I mean, just to put it in perspective, um, I was just before our podcast was looking at some of the old stats. So this year's team is shooting uh, about just under 43%, which puts them in the bottom third and then seeable today yeah. is at 225th. That's all field goal percentage. Uh, compare that to last year's team, which shot 48% and was actually in the top 20 in the NCAAs in shooting. And obviously, a lot of that is that most of the shooting was concentrated in Gerald Brantley and and Grant Riller, who shoots so well. But the drop off is huge. Yeah, I think um, I was texting with some folks about that during the game. I think Jarrell bailed the team out of a lot of bad offense last year, and he, it was such a luxury to just be able to throw the ball to him and have him score. They don't have that anymore. And that's more pressure on on Grant to to make shots. And you know, so far, the results have been kind of inconsistent outside of him. I should note that Grant Riller had his first double double in this game, ten rebounds for him, which is hard to believe as his first double double, but he got there. 
the big the big goal for this year as i mean if you think about it like as cougar basketball as a as a program probably you know i hate to i don't want to be blasphemous here but I'd say that postseason is probably not going to happen with this team but if grant can get drafted in the ncaa's into the nba's that's just as important as us going to the postseason because talk about something that earl grant can hang his hat on having three guys earn at least a two-way contract for three years in a row is is massive in terms of kind of recruiting more moving forward no absolutely yeah if he can put those three guys up on the wall of td arena then that is a a very nice selling point that nobody else in the caa and not many teams at the mid-major level could could compete with I still think that the CAA is up for grabs. I don't know if you saw the stat today that um, the top six teams in the CAA are separated on Ken Palm by 25 spots. So from Northeastern to William and Mary, only they're they're all clumped together. Uh, So I think once conference play starts, it might be a difference between like one or two games between winning and finishing in fifth or sixth. Cougars have the defense and they have a closer in Grant Riller. So if you're if they're in a lot of tight games, which I think they're going to have, having Grant and having a solid defense is is good. So I'm I I do think that the CAA is going to be a bloodbath, but I think the Cougars have as much of a chance to win it as as anybody. They might be a 16 seed, but somebody's going to emerge from from the pack. I mean the the flip side of that argument, and one thing I noticed uh, in terms of CAA play is that. Uh, it's like playing your fan. It's, it's such like it's like fighting your brother or something like that because they know you so well. They know you all your moves. You know that once we're going to roll into CA play, particularly against teams like Northeastern who who have such terrific X's and O's coaching, they're not going to let Grant Railer do anything in those games. They're going to do everything in their power to make everybody somebody else beat them. So we've got to be ready uh, for that. And these, these kind of supporting cast guys are going to have to start hitting shots or, you know, taking the mantle when, when they're given the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of double teams on Riller, but that just means the rest of the guys are going to be playing man up. I really hope they, the supporting cast can capitalize. I think shot selection and, and getting to the free throw line and team rebounding are going to be areas they need to improve. But, um, trust coach to uh to do what he can to to maximize the roster i guess yeah we'll, we'll be in the mix i mean i think uh we'll be in the mix for the one of the buy spots i think for sure and then once you get to tournament play it's you know three games in dc so whatever you know that that chips can fall anyway after that so what do you think of the of the caa on the whole i think it's making some progress from from you know the past years which probably were a low point I think we're, we've got less terrible teams. I mean, obviously, uh, Delaware is making strides, even though there's, you know, a lot of their schedule was pretty uh, on the lower end of things. And uh, they, the first tough team they played against GW, they, they lost. But they still meant, they've still come some ways. You know, William & Mary is a pleasant surprise as well. They, you know, the coaching changes, and uh, you, you didn't know what to expect from them. But Nathan Knight is still Nathan Knight, so he's going to bring his almost double-double average, and uh, they're looking better than expected. Yeah, Delaware is definitely, I agree with both points. William & Mary got a lot of heat for their coaching decision, but so far, Dane Fisher seems to be doing a good job there. 
Delaware has been a, a nice surprise. Even even despite the schedule, they've got some talent on the team, and good to see them winning again. And there's some good freshmen in the conference, I think, um, at Elon, at William and Mary, and at Delaware. I think the trajectory is pointing up, which is a good thing. Uh, but the, it, there's not that super senior loaded talented team like there was in past seasons i think i think that's the biggest difference yeah probably on the the negative side uh uncw still hasn't kind of stepped forward under that yeah their uh, coaching staff and i wonder if you're going to start seeing some grumblings under mcgrath because they're just not getting better and uh i think people expected more out of townsend this year but pop scary always plays a pretty tough non-conference schedule. So how much of them not being, the record not being great is their tough schedule and how much is, you know, the team underperforming? I'm not sure. UNCW is a passionate fan base. So I know there's already some grumblings there. And uh, even JMU, I think, is getting impatient with Lou Rowe, their their hometown guy. But um, yeah, I think for the most part, the CAA is is on the right path. it just hurts the conference when uh, when there's not one really good team. Should be a lot of drama during conference play, but uh, uh, that's more a reflection of a lot of teams around the same level versus a couple teams at a really high level. For sure. All right, well, let's get to something that should be fun. It's the end of the decade. New Year's is just around the corner, so I thought in the spirit of that, we could do all decade teams. So these would be players from January 1st, 2010 to today. The best CFC players during that period. Take those rules however however you want, but I figured we could reminisce and, and kick some names around. What do you think? Sounds good. All right. Should I go first or do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, you can go first. So I did, a, I did a second team, and I'll start with them. This is a name that I, don't, I want to get your thoughts on. I'm putting Canyon Barry on the second team. Only played really two and a half years in a Cougar uniform. Uh, transferred to Florida after he graduated, but he was kind of the lone bright spot of a pretty downtime in the program. Um, so the Kremens to Wojcik to Grant transition period had a tough time. He had four head coaches during his time at Charleston, but um put together sort of a, an all-conference type year. His last season in Charleston got hurt, opened the door for Grant's first recruiting class, but um, I have him in there right on like the honorable mention second team line, but I, I put him in. Next up, I have Jeremy Simmons. So this is when we're starting to get into guys who kind of split time between decades. Uh, Jeremy Simmons gets dinged a little bit because he graduated in 2011. So he only played what uh, a full year in 2010 and then half of 2011. But, uh, you know, good player on those Gowdalock uh, teams. Uh, he's on the all-time list in terms of rebounding and blocks. Uh, had a really nice career, even though he was a fourth or fifth option on offense on a lot of those teams. So I put him in. Antoine Wiggins, same kind of thing. He played a little bit more this decade because uh, he he had a redshirt year. He was the best player on um, one of those late Kremens teams that actually won a lot of games. I think he won like 25 or 26 games his senior year. Uh, Top 20 all-time in points, rebounds, and blocks. So that's uh, good enough for me to include him. Andrew Lawrence is my point guard on the second team. 
uh, 26th all-time scorer at the college, top 10 all-time in assists and steals, uh, played in the Olympics while he was a Cougar, won a lot of games as well. And then uh, my other big man on my second team all decade is Ajay Baru. So someone who came in very highly acclaimed, five-star prospect. I think people still kind of overlook him because he didn't quite pan out on the offensive side. But uh, sixth all-time in rebounds in school history, fifth all-time in blocks, uh, those are really good numbers. And I think those numbers might surprise some people because he was kind of a um, not like the most offensive highlight type guy. But um, I think he's you know on, on my all-decade team, second team. What do you think of those five? Yeah, no, I think uh, uh, I definitely would agree with a lot of that, though. I guess I don't know who, I mean, who you're putting on the first team. Um, uh, I guess uh, just to kind of give you a break in between, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you my five, and uh, that way we can split it up a little bit. I did not allow Gallbach's class to be included as just a thought experiment for this um, since they only played, but I did include Antoine Wiggins because he is uh, he did play half of his career in, in mm-hmm. this decade, so I thought that was reasonable. And I constructed it as could you construct a Cougar roster, what would be the most dangerous that would kind of play against a P5 team? Okay, I like it. Um, my starting five would be, obviously, Joe Chile is the point guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doesn't nothing else needs to be said. I mean, he's a consummate leader. He, he's the floor general. Plus, he can score. He can take the team on his shoulders. Uh, at the two spot, I would put uh, Grant Riller, of course, his perfect uh, – compliment to take off scoring and some ball handling off of him and we, no need no need to be said a guy for a guy who's going to be probably number two when it's all said and done on our scoring uh all-time scoring list uh at the small forward spot i would put your second teamer antoine wiggins mm-hmm. uh, he was a big gamer uh i think he's like you said he was really overlooked i mean he's a guy who really uh kind of came one of these modern type players uh, especially after he tore his ACL, he really changed his body, kind of got a little thicker. Uh, but he's a guy who brought six, seven length. Uh, if you look back on that Antoine Wiggins senior year, I mean, he knocked off Clemson on the road, uh, Tennessee at home, yeah, and uh, UMass, and played in that. You know, was fantastic in that uh, amazing game at Louisville uh, when we when we kind of took T- Patino's team down to the wire. Um, so, I mean, he's a, he was a gamer. He would always show up in big games and you know, he'd give you, you know, 16 points, a decent amount of rebounds, and he could kind of guard up just about anyone on the court. Great so defender. I would love to have seen a guy like Earl Grant be able to, uh, use his mind to, to maximize a kid like Antoine Wiggins, uh, at the four spot, obviously no, doesn't need any introduction, but Joel Brantley, mm-hmm. who is now tearing up the NBA G league. Yeah. And, uh, you know, almost averaging a double double. And I, I keep waiting. I mean, at least you hear the chatter in the Utah Jazz people that they may just cut somebody and, and upgrade Jarrell from a, from a uh, two way player to being just a full on Jazz player to play at the end of the games, which would be really, really cool. I mean, it's great. New Jarrell is such a winner that he, once he got in, uh, once he got in a program like the Jazz, who really develops players, that he would just take off. So really easy pick for your four. And to round it out, I would put for my five spot, the Jai Baru, just like you did. 
Okay. I, I feel bad for Jai. I, I, I sympathize with him. I think his knee problems really kind of uh, cut down his career. If you look at his stat line, his best year was a sophomore, and then he just got worse. I mean, some of that may have been Wojcik's terrible coaching, but <laughs> I think some of that was also his body just started to fail him towards the end. And he was always terrific. Um, he was always terrific uh, early on in the season when we played these non-conference tournaments and you would play these P5 teams and they would have some dominant big man. And you could tell that they would just go to toe to toe with the giant yeah. and, and they couldn't, they couldn't beat them. And uh, by the end of the season, Jai's lateral movement would go so bad. I remember, you know, David uh, McKillop just exploiting the hell out of that and having guys run, run across in front of him and Jai just not being able to shift to cover him. But, a uh, healthy Ajay would have been amazing for last year's Cougar team, a, a kind of a big man who's got the athleticism that Earl Grant really, really needed. Uh, that that P, that starting five uh, would be terrific. For my bench, for my all-decade uh, ultimate upset team, mm-hmm. uh, the utility guy, Willis Hall, who, uh, who could bring, by the end of his career, really could bring anything to the table that you wanted, hit a three, get a rebound, hit free throws, um, he was great ultimate winner, a great guy to have off the bench. Uh, Cam Johnson, uh, maybe not a scorer, but another guy who can do a lot of different things for you if you need to, but is he can come in as a defensive enforcer against a P5 player if you need to pester him for a while. Yep. And I, who, when given the opportunity, when everybody else went down to injury and Cam Johnson took the score. scoring, and when he, he could score. Yeah. But you know, when he had, when we needed him to, and, uh, I don't really have a good option for my last uh, last bench player, but uh, so I will I will head it off, pass it off to you. Yeah, so I think there's in my mind there's four guys who are a lock for the first team. Uh, Joe Cheely, obviously, you already said it all. Top five in scoring, all time great leader. Obviously, leads the team to their only NCAA tournament appearance that decade. Uh, this decade. So he's a lock. Grant Riller is a lock. All the same reasons. Multiple all-conference awards, um, championship pedigree. Like you said, going to end up being, you know, number two on the all-time scoring list probably. And Jarrell, again, same thing. I don't think Coach Grant gets enough recognition for bringing in two of the five greatest CFC players of all time in his first recruiting class. But Grant and Jarrell have definitely left their their mark on the program. Um, and then I'm going to throw you for a loop. I think Willis Hall is a lock for a starting spot. Um, I think, you know, for me, just thinking about the decade and like where the decade started for CFC and where it ended, I just immediately thought of Willis Hall because he was on that team that beat uh, UNC in Charleston and he played with Joe yeah. Cheely. He like literally spanned the entire he was one of those guys who was just like in college forever, seemingly. But yeah, I mean, he's the only guy I think who had like multiple 20 and 20 type games. He was a beast on the boards. Um, like you mentioned, he developed a three point shot um, his junior and senior years really became that prototypical stretch for uh, brought the rebounding undersized, tough guy, all glue guy, super smart player. Uh, so I, I have him in the starting lineup. And then my fifth is I got a little, uh, I took a, a different approach in terms of, uh, you know, who I include and who I don't. I have Andrew Gowdelock on the first team. So he, he only played uh, 
you know, a portion of his, his career in this decade, but that one season, his say his senior season, 2010, 2011, was good enough for me to put him in, in my five best players of the decade. Um, you know, I think he was top five in the NCAA in scoring, just absolutely torched everyone his senior year, especially with uh, with Steph Curry out of the SoCon at that point. Uh, Andrew Gaudelock just scored at will, and his his career assist numbers actually surprised me. Never thought of him as much of a, a distributor, but he's actually sixth all-time in career assists. So uh, Andrew Gaudelock, I, I, I put him on. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, Gaudelock, uh, as, as amazing, I mean, the, the great the great debate will be when it's all said and done is who would you rather have on your on your team, Graubach in his prime or Riller in his prime? And they're such different players, but both of them are and 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 elite NCAA players in their own right, which which makes it such a cool uh, thought experiment. And I and I've thought about it. And I, I don't I don't know who I would pick if you're if you're picking a team. Well, I, I like your approach with uh, your like all super team to to like go as far as possible in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so you got the defense of Baru and Wiggins, right? Yeah. And yep. then you've got scoring with Cheely, Brantley, and, and Riller. That's a good good starting five. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I know you got to get going. You have lives to save and, you know, the next generation of doctors to educate. So I'm going to let you run. But uh, any any parting thoughts? No, always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we'll look for maybe we'll debrief after the North Northeastern game here in Boston. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, are you are you gonna make it over to that game? For sure. Very nice. Yeah, cheer on the Cougs for us. All right, man, Martin. Thank you. Have a great uh, rest of your day. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, thanks, Tommy. Always a pleasure. All right, man.